Hi, I'm Rui Branco. Welcome to Talking Usework, a podcast brought to you by the Future Labs Project. Talking Usework is a series of 15 podcast interviews to usework experts and practitioners that have a say when it comes to innovation in usework either because they are using creative methods to empower young people, researching on use trends or responsible for use policies at international level. Like a shot of inspiration, all of our guests have a unique point of view about how can use workers shake up, upgrade and innovate on their daily work. Welcome! This is Talking Youth Work, a podcast that explores what does innovation mean for youth workers. I'm Anita Silva. I'm a trainer and a youth worker in Europe. And together with Rui, who is a podcaster and a father of two preteens, we've been talking with different people about this topic. Today, we talked with John Ord. He is a professor in Plymouth University in the UK and a recognized expert in the field. He has several books and papers written about youth work. We talked from a critical point of view about innovation in youth work. Uh, is innovation really needed? Are youth workers prepared to innovate? What is demanded from them? I think it was a very nice conversation about the questions we need to raise about innovation. We hope that you like it as much as we did. So with no longer ado, let's talk youth work. Hi, John. Okay, How are hi. you? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> we are still at the Key Action 2 Now conference in Berlin, where we've been recording a, a few of our episodes. And we are so lucky to have you here as a keynote speaker for the last day. So thank you so much for the opportunity for to <laughs> tap into your wisdom. And the first question I would like to ask you is, how did you got involved in youth work in the first place? When did this start? For you? Um, I was involved in youth work as a young person on a project All right. in uh, 1984. Uh, it was a very innovative project, actually, um, because it, uh, it involved a European um, trip. It was, we, we went overland through Belgium. France, Spain, and ended up in Morocco, and we, and we climbed a wow. mountain in Morocco. So it was a 28-day trip uh, with three minibuses with about well, how many 30, people? 30 young people. Wow. So it was amazing, and it was transformative for me. How old were you? I was uh, 18. Right. Like in almost a rite of passage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it also it just opened uh, my eyes and, and lots of people on the project's eyes to sort of what's out there really. I was from a town with very high unemployment and very few prospects and uh, it kind of, it was really, uh, you know, broadened everyone's horizons, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what happened when you came back from that trip? How did you uh, further got involved? I think I, I, um, I got back into studying. I was unemployed at the time and I didn't really know where I wanted to go, but... Um, I got very interested in mountains and rock climbing and, and, and wanted to go to university, but mainly so I could go to university to go climbing than go studying. But in the end, I did get into studying. And <laughs> I studied philosophy. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> so the, the trip was a springboard for me to um, for a lot of different things, really. But then I got back into working as a volunteer youth worker and a, and a paid youth worker. And I've been involved in youth work ever since, really. All right. So you have a lot of also practical experience of what youth work is, of course. Yeah, well, yeah. I worked as a, I, I did my degree 
in philosophy, then I did a postgraduate diploma in youth work, which was a qualifying diploma in the UK for youth workers. So I did that in 1992, uh, no, sorry, 91, and then, and then worked as a youth worker till 2003. Right. So I worked for uh, 18 years or so as a youth worker nice. in the UK. Very cool. We're going to just make a small break. You're going to edit this. I'm going to close that door okay. and get my phone. Because <laughs> so eventually then you became a professor. Uh, yes. In, uh, well, in, uh, I was married in about 95 and I had two uh, young children. I think once my energies were into my own children rather than mm. my adopting children <laughs> in the club. Uh, I found it less, I was less motivated to do face-to-face -face youth work, but was still committed to youth work and interested in youth work. So I moved into teaching and training and educating youth workers. So in 2003, I started working at Marjon, Plymouth University, uh, Marjon in, uh, in the UK. So, um, yeah, I was there, been there ever since, and uh, I was made an associate professor in um, about 2012. And what subjects do you teach? Youth work. Uh, we have a BA program and an MA program okay. um, in youth and community work. So it's, we, we, we teach quite, uh, on a qualifying course. So they both end up with on those two programs with a qualification in, in youth work. Okay. And I understood that you also are involved in research in youth work. Yeah. What have you been doing on that? Um, a lot of it's theoretical. So I write, uh, I have a book that uh, has a second edition now called Youth Work Process, Product and Practice. And it's about trying to identify what youth work is and articulate the, what, what youth work is, because it's still, I think, a little misunderstood, mm -hmm. especially by uh, policymakers and politicians. So, And also youth workers need to be able to articulate their practice. Yeah. They're very good at doing the practice, but they're not always very skilled in articulating what it is they do. So, I, I feel uh, from not being in youth work field, people outside youth work field, they don't really understand no. what youth work is because also the youth workers they don't have the 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 words to explain no. mostly what they're doing they do yeah. it like yeah, you yeah. said they're doing yeah. it but they don't know how to explain it how yeah. to articulate it yeah so that's part of what i wanted to do was try and go some way to clarifying some of the some of the core practices core principles mm -hmm. core aspects of youth work practice and you were just saying that some some stakeholders um, that are involved in policy making they don't fully understand youth work do, do you uh, recognize common misconceptions about youth work um i think so i think there's a overemphasis on activities right keeping young people busy keeping them busy. off the streets we <laughs> yeah, say off, off the streets that's such a no <laughs> yeah, it started right in the 70s already no, no, it's, uh, <laughs> right now you're saying i go back to the street they don't play enough they're in front of their screen <laughs> yeah yeah we're keep, keeping them off the screen <laughs> yeah, exactly but uh, as long as they're busy as long as they're doing activities and then, then that must be good it's good youth work but it's much much more than the activity activities are a means to an end they're a vehicle and if they're done well and done you know you implement the right processes then they can be really beneficial and you know transformative but they're not necessarily transformative just being involved in an activity in itself is not going to necessarily be developmental at all exactly yeah. taking mm. the example of your trip to to morocco yeah. for you it was transformative yeah, for somebody else might not have been yeah but it's also the, the processes they implemented on that so you know we were in we weren't just taken it wasn't yeah. a tour yeah. it wasn't get in the bus and we go drive yeah. and do everything for you you know you had we 
one of my responsibilities was planning the menu. So I had to, you know, plan a whole 28-day trip menu, you know, buy wow. all the food and cost it all out. I think we were a pound a day we could spend, you know. <laughs> and so you had to really, you know, so, you, you know, that was my responsibility. That was my yeah. job. That's part of what youth work does. It delegates responsibility, gives the power to young people to make decisions. And on the back of that, they grow and they develop. Right. Um, so... One part of this research you were telling me before was a key action tool you were involved mm. now. Evaluating just this, what are the impacts that youth work has on young people? Did I got it right? Um, kind of. It was. I mean, the motivation for the project was in the UK, we're really under pressure from mm. austerity. You know, we, the cuts are so severe in youth work. And it's the first thing that goes because people don't value it. They don't see the impact. They don't know. They won't recognize it until, you know, once it's it's gone, it's gone kind of thing. So we were very keen to start to try and put some markers down about the successes mm. of, of projects. So we, we're interested in open access youth work, so club-based youth mm -hmm. projects, uh, and collecting stories from young people themselves about w what the impact on their lives has been. And so we joined with we were three youth clubs in the UK, three in France, three in Finland, Estonia, Italy, um, uh, and collected 700 stories from, from young oh. people across the, uh, those five countries. And then looked at the differences, and there were some very marked differences, really. Um, partly because of the age. I mean, right. It's fascinating. I mean, Italy, it's 18 to 34, you're a young person. You know, and in, in the UK, I think the average age of the, the participants is about 13 and a half. So it's much, much younger. So, so what they could do in Italy was much different. You know, they're, yeah. they're, uh, they're almost planning and running businesses. They're setting up projects to sell products of course know. they're in the stage of their life that yeah, employability yeah. is an issue yeah, of course yeah. okay any interesting results from that do you already have the results yeah yeah this? we yeah. have an online open access mm. uh, ebook so um how can we summarize <laughs> so or mention one or two um where do i start uh one that has surprised you I suppose for me, from thinking from a UK perspective, because each each of the five partners has a different perspective because they, they see the results and they, and they make the comparisons based on their own context. Mm -hmm. So for us in the UK, it was very obvious that we have an em uh, overemphasis on health and safety. Everything has to be planned and safe and controlled. Mm -hmm. So for example, we visited as part of the project some youth clubs in Finland and they have a skate park where they had about, it was underground. <laughs> And the young people, everyone, 150 young people in this. It's like a, I think it was an old uh, bomb shelter. Oh, okay. It was quite a strange project. But there were very few youth workers. But no, none of the young people wore helmets. <laughs> and our youth workers were just falling over, you know. <laughs> Can that be possible? Oh, yeah. Grabbing their heads, I like yeah. can imagine. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they said to these workers when they found, why are they not wearing helmets? Why are they not well, he said, but we it, we recommend it, <laughs> but we can't tell them this is youth work. They make the decision. <laughs> and anyway, we've had one broken arm in two years, so yes. what's the problem? <laughs> so it's sort of it's a big wake-up call for us around health and safety. And uh, um, I've, Italian youth work have visited our, our UK project and said... Um, it's a very interesting project in the middle of Dartmoor, which is a big mm. open wilderness area in Devon. And there's a little village in the middle, and they have one night a week where their project is open. And they said they haven't got any resources to staff the project any other time. And the Italian person said, uh, why don't you just give them the keys? 
Yeah. <laughs> and he was perfectly serious. Because <laughs> yeah, yes. that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. It's all youth empowerment. It's youth-led projects. Yeah. So young people are in control. They take charge. And again, the, the uh, UK youth worker should have... <laughs> close her mouth her chin was on her floor um, because it's unthinkable in yeah, UK to give the key to, we to the, you know, the, work, we, the workers have to be in control they have yeah. to hold the budgets they hold the keys they, they contain the young people it's very it's quite controlled really yeah. we think we're empowering but actually you can be much more empowering Yeah, you're not empowering because you don't give power. No, exactly. <laughs> like exactly. we discussed with Andreas, yeah. I, I was, uh, I was, uh, I wanted to ask you because you said that when uh, austerity comes, mm. youth work is the first to get the cut. Mm. Why don't policymakers see the benefits? Because if they don't see the benefits, that's why it's easy for them to mm. take the money out. Mm. What are not? What uh, aren't they seeing, or uh, aren't obvious the, the the benefits, or they don't want to see them? I think it's a question of values, quite uh, fundamentally. They don't value young people. Hmm. Uh, young people don't vote. Okay. They're the least, you know, proportionally. 18 to 24 year olds are the least proportion of people who vote. Um, so policies tend to focus on older older people tend to focus on, they also focus on statutory services, so services that have to be delivered rather than services that are discretionary where you can choose to deliver them or not. So it's partly political and a question of values and it's partly the practicalities of, 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 of uh, services and resources that are legislatively prescribed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I think it's also a thing, they don't see the consequences if... if no, they don't, no. They, they, they don't want to prevent no because it's not obvious the the prevention it's also very short term politics yeah, as yeah, well yeah yeah i mean we've had i had a, a letter published in a national newspaper a few months ago because there was a huge concern for knife crime mm -hmm. and knife crime in the uk has gone through the roof you know it's it's a real big issue at the moment particularly in big cities like london and uh, and the like and um it was all about the uh, number of police on the street it was all about sort of You know, how can we address this issue? Control, control. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, you know, actually, these young people who are now 18, they were 10 in 2010 or 2008 when austerity came. They've had a, they've grown up, you know, the the whole, all their teenage years without the, without the services because they've been removed. Yeah. So that whole network of services that had been there in to place, educate yeah. and support and encourage, you know, and make people safe. Because actually people carry a knife because they feel unsafe. They don't yeah. carry a knife to be aggressive, mm. generally. No. Um, so it's complex, but uh, the lack of uh, commitment and lack of support to services for young people in the UK is, is really poor at the moment. On that, I, I was just curious to ask you, um, with Brexit mm. and with all this process, how is that affecting young people, youth workers? Uh, <laughs> Again, a big question. <laughs> so worn around by Brexit. We're still optimistic it may not happen. I think that's the first thing to say. It's, I mean, the, there's a phrase, you know, nothing's agreed till everything's agreed. Yeah. Well, you know, we're not leaving until we have actually left. So yeah. We haven't left yet. There's still, I think if there was a vote tomorrow, it would, the opinion polls say it's something like 56% of people would, would vote to remain. So mm. the public opinion has shifted. So I think that people. People are talking about it. It is in people's consciousness, but also they are sick to death of it. Yeah. They're really, really They're sick. They're becoming the aware people, now. 
even the people who want to remain want it solved, want it sorted, want <laughs> it done. Yeah. Um, I think it's affecting the unfortunate side of Brexit is it has opened a Pandora's box of, of racism. It's, it's encouraged that small minority mm. of people who, uh, who are racist, who don't like immigrants, don't, don't appreciate the mm. benefit that immigration has provided for the country. You know, the National Health Service would be on its knees without, which mm. wouldn't better function without immigration. Yeah. And the net benefit in terms of taxation is far outweighs any of the benefits that immigrants take in terms yeah. of support and such like so um there's an educative process still to to, to be had and, and you know an ongoing educative process with young people with adults as well about do you the think, reality of hmm. some of those issues do you think that if, if um next month there would be another big political decision to be taken where you have this double sides and maybe some fake news and wrong numbers and manipulation mm -hmm. Do you think that the fact that the Brexit went the way it went, that people now would be more aware and more careful on choosing sides? Did it increase awareness, political awareness in the end? I think it did amongst young people. Okay. Um, and that's one of the, it doesn't really answer your question, but that's yeah. one of the interesting uh, differences in the political makeup of of the UK is is that that block of 18 to 24 olds is much more politically active. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, the, I mean, we have 615, 650 constituencies, mm -hmm. so we elect 650 MPs. The constituency of Canterbury had been Conservative for 100 years, mm. and it went Labour. Wow. And it went Labour because it's a university town. Okay. The so suddenly both. all those students have now registered to vote and are seeing the importance of voting. Mm -hmm. So Warwick, for example, it's been Tory for Conservative for nearly 50 years. That went Labour. It's yeah. a big university town. So students have started to realise they've also found an avenue and an outlet for their political views in Jeremy Corbyn mm -hmm. and, the, and the new Labour Party. So politics is, is, is changing. It's maybe mobilised people mm. and made people realise the importance of being politically active, both informally and more formally through voting. All right. Well, we're, we're talking about raising this awareness of, of importance of citizenship mm. you know, and what it entails for young people so they can also be actors on it, obviously, mm -hmm. so they can better uh, use the power that, that is given to them as citizens. And, and that takes us to, to, this is, I would say, I would argue, uh, one of the purposes of youth work, amongst others, but one of the pur purposes of youth work. So looking at youth work in general and, and as actors of non-formal education mm. and education for these values and for... Um, lifelong learning of these people that now are young, but yeah. one day will not be young and will be full adults uh, living their lives. So how do you see youth work nowadays? Did it change much from when you started? Um, it's very hard to summarize, sum it up in... Uh, mm. uh, it, it ebbs and flows. I think few years ago people were decrying that sort of in the UK youth work had become much more individualized so mm. it's much more about case management it's okay. all much more about dealing with people with problems mm -hmm. and, and solving their problems um, so I think that's been a trend okay. and because resources have been so you might have a youth like in Plymouth where I on the you know, I work on the outskirts of the city of Plymouth mm. so I know the kind of youth work structures and services there quite well so you would have had a number of centres that had youth workers working in those open settings. And some of those centres have closed and they've become what's called targeted youth workers. Mm. So they work just when they have just a list, list of 
12, 20, 20, 30 mm -hmm. young people who they have to visit every week and have an hour one-to-one -one with them and see how they're going and give them advice. And it's quite a restrictive way mm -hmm. of working. You know, I, I meet youth workers and say, my hands are tied behind my back. I can't do anything. Yeah. I can't, you know, I can't get them involved in groups. I can't go anywhere. I can't create experiences for them. I'm just there talking to them. So I suppose that's been a... That's been a, uh, a trend in recent years for, right. for youth work in the UK. But there's still, there still are open groups, there still are clubs that are operating in, in more traditional ways that, that, that work through conversation and, and, and discussion and mm -hmm. where, where political education and activism and making a difference in the world would still be important. Okay. Um, and where do you see it going in the future? It's, uh, it's a difficult time in the UK. I mean, mm -hmm. the, there's a guy called Tom Wiley who was the chief executive of the National Youth Agency from 97 to 2007. And he was there, he was there in the, um, when there was a big growth in youth work. Mm -hmm. And his view is that youth work now in the UK is, is as bad as it was in the 1950s. Wow. <laughs> so it's been put back 50 years. Mm -hmm. And the 50s is a particularly important period because it was just before a big expansion in youth work. In the 1960s, we had 3,300 youth clubs built mm -hmm. in England and Wales. So it's put us back to the 50s. So we, we have to, you know, we have to have some investment. We have to have some commitment, um, you know, to start growing again, really. Mm. We're, we're hanging on by our fingernails. Uh, we, uh, I'm sorry, uh, we're in an innovation conference. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that uh, the youth work in UK didn't innovate anything? or Because you can have less clubs or less mm -hmm. uh, youth workers, but are they doing things differently? Um, or is it the same old uh, getting young people together, conversation? A bit of it is the same old, same old. Mm. I know a, an Irish colleague said to me, why, why does youth work always look like youth work? <laughs> <laughs> it's just sort of, you know, we just end up doing the same things. Um, and to be fair to youth workers, I mean, the, the, the strange thing about UK youth, youth work is it, it did grow and it, and it did we have a statute we have a, a a qualifying program you know so you can become a qualified youth worker you have terms and conditions that underpin you know your job as mm. a youth worker so we're quite established in that sense um we had local authority youth services so each local government had a you know employed youth workers but our, our buildings many of them were still those old 1960s buildings mm. so i could show you know i could take you to counties or cities and say you know those are the buildings mm. they're still here so you're still practicing the same settings so it is a bit it lacks innovation in that sense but that's because not because of youth workers inability to mm. innovate it's because they haven't got the resources yeah. they haven't yeah, 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 yeah. all the resources are tied in that building yeah they can open that building and they can meet young people but they haven't got much else to do in that yeah so it's it's a little bit uh, resource dependent so let's talk about those competences of youth workers. You were saying that it's not because they're not innovative. Mm. Do you think that in the UK, um, the training that is provided, provided for youth workers promotes the skills they need to be able to innovate? I, well, taking in consideration, they won't get the resources yeah, so far, yeah. but if they would have the resources, are they prepared to innovate, to adapt to new realities? I think it very much depends on what you mean by innovate, because okay. I think it's a big, big elephant in the room of the conference is what... <laughs> Yeah, what do we mean by innovation? Mm -hmm. and, the, and the talk I do on Friday will try and ask answer some of those questions about what we mean by innovation. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things I, I would like to say on Friday and I'll say now is I think we, we need to think about innovation in two different ways. One is in the micro. So that's in how we innovate 
in our engagements with young people, in those dynamic, fluid environments where, where conversations taking place, group dynamics are, uh, you know, going off, and we have to we have to choose how to intervene. What, what do we say? What flows do we do we follow? So we're always innovating in that sense. It's a, it's an innovative practice. Um, but then we have to. There's another context, which which is the macro, which is the sort of social, political, historical context within which we're operating, and how we appreciate that and, and what we do because of it. Mm -hmm. So, so the so the, the you know the the technological sphere, the te technological challenge, how we innovate in relation to that is is key. I think. Mm -hmm. um, you know what's what's how we respond to the social context that young people find them in whether they're in a rural or an urban setting, whether they're straight or gay or bisexual, or whether they're black or white, you know, those kind of, those are key contexts that inform our practice or should inform how we practice. Mm -hmm. So um, innovation is really complex. It's multidimensional. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and, it's, and it's based on your own experience. You know, what's innovative to me is, is you've been doing for years and years. I listened to guy yesterday talking about the uh, the big walk he does he's got yeah. a project i saw that's brilliant mm. and then i suddenly thought it isn't very innovative actually it's brilliant i'm not saying it's not but they've been doing that in the states for years mm -hmm. you know wilderness walks yeah. Yeah, yes. you know six, six I know a friend of mine in minnesota his daughter did it he went on she went on six months trek and it was big sort of rite of passage for her yeah so it's sort of what's innovation is contextual. Absolutely, so what is innovative here might be new, yeah. might be old somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and even if it's new, it might not be appropriate. Exactly. Uh, yeah, for me, innovation has the components of novel and useful mm. because yeah. if it's novel and it's not useful, it's not innovation. It's not innovating. It's yeah. just something different. Yeah, but it, it also it also comes from a business uh, paradigm as well. I think that's also one of the problems. And innovation in business is quite straightforward. If in, you know, if it's new and it's useful, it works and it continues. If it's not new, if if it's new and not useful, it yeah. falls down and yeah. disappears. Yeah. Whereas in youth, it's very different. Who decides what is innovative? So it needs it needs a judgment. And, and it needs who can judgment do that in terms judgment? of sorry. Who can do that? Absolutely. Hmm. It's partly the youth worker. It's partly the young people. It's partly the politicians. So it's. And it's 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 probably contested as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I might argue that you know we absolutely need this innovation, but someone else might say. I mean, in, in, the, in the digital digital yeah. sphere, you know, someone will be arguing we need to get people off off screens. We need to innovate to draw them away from this from this technology because it's addictive. It's mm. you know you can correlate you know mental ill health with them with screen time. Some people would argue. Other people would say, no, this is where young people are at. You know, if we're not embracing the digital sphere, we're, we're going to lose young people. Yeah. So it's contested innovation as well. Yeah. I, I think it's very general innovation in, in all sectors is that no solution uh, answers to an, an issue, a problem, a potential 100%. Mm -hmm. And no solution is without negative consequences. So everything will have some kind of a negative turnout in, in some mm. part of the process and nothing is 100% no. positive for all stakeholders, for no. all our targeted, for all the aims we aim. So it, it always is what you're saying, it is it's always partially contested and in youth work, because it's so relational, because it's so complex and involves so many different layers of power, so many different people, so many different interests, uh, it's very hard to, it, maybe it's harder to innovate because it's not, mm. uh, here's a solution, a recipe, this will fix it. Mm. And especially because it's also a very dynamic field. Yeah. It changes all the time, right? 
Well, uh, um, what you're describing there is, is the process of youth work, mm-hmm. which yeah. is innovative. It's, it, it's, it's an, it's, it requires improvisation all the time. But we think the way innovation is framed, it tends to be thought of as products. Yeah, not, not, and, it doesn't uh, have to be. And products. the Erasmus guidance almost encourages products. Mm-hmm. You know, create products that, that will be innovative. Yeah. Mm. But it is, you know, youth work is process and product. product. Yeah, it's very interesting because in, in Erasmus Plus, Key Action 2 especially, you are um, prompt to produce outputs, mm. products that should be innovative. However, the formats of these products are predefined, you know, yeah. it's a curricula or a book. Yeah. or So it's not like you're going to innovative in that format. No. You can propose probably new methodologies within that and a little more, yeah. actually. So it is quite limited. Mm. I, I'm struggling to remember the, the name of the project, but I spoke to someone in the market yesterday at the conference about her difficulties of of actually trying to build in some creativity and some yeah. uncertainty in, into her project, which was essential, really. But Erasmus were very, you know, they didn't, they didn't want her to steer away from the track that she had said she would work on, you know. Exactly. It's a very rigid yeah. uh, process yeah. that expects out-of-the-box uh, out results. Yeah, exactly. And it's very hard. Yeah, right? it's quite slightly contradictory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> John Cleese has a nice sentences about that. I keep repeating it. I don't know if I said it before in a different episode. In one of his lectures, he's saying... Um, about creativity. Uh-huh. He's saying uh, it's very, very hard to be creative if you're reading emails all day, <laughs> which is pretty simple and pretty yeah. straightforward, right? So yeah. if the system you're in, if the mindset you are in is hmm. uh, rigid, it's very hard that you're going to have an extraordinary idea. Hmm. Um, voila, well, we're almost closing our conversation, unfortunately. But before we go, we have a question from our last guest. And the question he left for you is if you had five million euros, in which project would you invest them? Um, I'm going to turn the answer on its head a little bit. And uh, we had a funding stream in the UK a few years ago um, called Youth Empowerment Fund, and uh, young mm-hmm. people decided how the money was spent. All right. So, and we've made it whenever, and often we've, had, we've, we've never been very flush with cash in the UK <laughs> youth work. But when at times when there has been money around, it hasn't always been well spent. I mean, we, we had a funding stream that built new youth centres in the UK in 2008 to 2010, where millions of pounds, I think it's about 400 million pounds were spent. Whoa. And the argument was, well, actually, if you'd given that to the existing projects, some of these six, 1960s buildings that are mm. falling apart to, to you know, do some innovation and renovation, mm. you might have been more successful. So I think, actually, people on the ground are best placed to decide how best to spend any money. So you would so, give it so to them? So young people <laughs> and project workers, they need to decide in, given, in the particular areas how best to spend it. Very good answer, I think. <laughs> so you get to revenge and leave a question uh, for the next guest. Um, should we rethink innovation? And if so, how? Okay. I'm just writing it down so I don't forget. I was thinking, maybe we st- should stop defining it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my conclusion. <laughs> 
Very good. Okay, thank well, you very much. Thank you. It was lovely to have you on our little show here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I hope that in, in the future there's more uh, research like the one you were conducting on mm -hmm. the impacts of youth work and what results it's bringing and through the voices of young people, that's what matters the most. Thank you okay. so Thank much. You Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that was our 15th episode, the last one recorded during the K-Action 2 Now conference. Hope to see you next time. This podcast is funded by the Erasmus Plus Youth Watch program powered by Tim Maish and the editorial board of UMAC University of Applied Sciences, Kari Kero, Jarmo Roxa and Christiana Vesama, with the support of all the Future Labs partners.